Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. We can't provide truly patient-centred care without having the voice of consumers at the table. Be it at the kitchen table or via Zoom, lived experience is the only way to learn what our community needs. These projects leverage meaningful partnerships to redesign the way they deliver care with drastically improved outcomes. staff and ECDs at Prince Charles Hospital, a bit of a research enthusiast and trying to improve post-operative outcomes. I've been qualified in epidemiology. I'm currently doing PhD with UQ. I'd like to thank the Clinical Excellence of Queensland for giving me this opportunity to present in this prestigious forum. We initiated this program at Prince Charles in 2019 and it's been running successfully for the second consecutive year. Experience is everything, get it right. If experience isn't your strategy, you're doing it wrong. So these are the lines from a multinational professional networking service company, and they're right. Improving customer experience is not only important for retail industry and hospitality and tourism, but it's also important for healthcare. Patient experience is one of the three pillars of quality in healthcare, the other two being patient safety and clinical effectiveness. And good patient experience can lead to increased patient satisfaction and therefore improved health outcomes. Any surgery is very taxing experience, particularly major surgery. So when I'm talking about major surgery, I'm talking about bowel resection for diverticulitis or cancer or cardiothoracic surgery, arthroplasty, etc. So it is stressful for the body and mind. It puts significant inflammatory response on a patient and the recovery after surgery is also a very complex process. Many of you may have had surgery and can relate to this. Certainly I've had one recently, so I know about it. Now, in the natural trajectory of recovery after surgery, there is a decline in the functional capacity and followed by a gradual rehabilitation. So despite significant improvement in the perioperative care, up to four weeks, you're likely to suffer with a bit of pain and fatigue and impaired concentration, poor appetite, etc. Up to six weeks, you're likely to suffer a bit of a drop in lung function. And a study, study has shown that if you're 60 years and over, only less than 50% of you will be able to get back to your baseline level of physical performance even at six months. And in one in five of you will still be unable to perform activities of daily living such as walking and um, showering and bathing. So the post-surgical recovery depends on a number of factors, patient factor, surgical and aesthetic factor, and of course the occurrence of complications, which in case of major abdominal surgery is quoted to be about 40-50%. And if you develop pulmonary complications after major abdominal surgery, you've got 25% chance of mortality at, at a month. So complications can increase uh, length of stay as well as healthcare costs. 
Now, the risk of poor surgical outcome depends on all these factors, but in terms of patient-related risk factor, we talk about age and then frailty. Frailty is prevalent in about 50 to 60% of the colorectal cancer patients, even in developed countries. Comorbidities, comorbidities, anemia, COPD, diabetes. Do you know up to 90% of surgical patients have at least one risk factor, and about 40% have two or more risk factors? And cancer, the disease condition as such with changes in metabolism as well as altered poor lifestyle can increase the risk of complication, and of course, cancer chemo radiation can add a bit more stress to the system. So the conventional system of healthcare is all about medical and physiological optimization. So traditionally what we have been doing is when the patient gets diagnosed with a surgical condition or cancer and gets referred to an anesthetic clinic, we see the patient at the anesthetic clinic. We focus on cardiovascular respiratory optimization. We discuss the risk and benefit of surgery. We discuss the prognosis, how the patient is going to recover and decide whether to proceed with the surgery or not and send the patient away. We don't get to see the patient for weeks or even sometimes months after that. During this period, there is a worsening of surgical pathology, for instance, in a cardiothoracic surgery, or if it is a joint replacement, the patient puts on more weight, increased pain, limited functional capacity, depends on others. Or if it is a cancer surgery, the patient undergoes cancer interventions, physically deconditioned, malnourished, and emotional distress. On the day of the procedure, we do epidurals and minimally invasive surgery, and postoperatively, we start off early physiotherapy, early breathing exercises, early mobilization, nutrition, et cetera. And so what we are trying to do is this physically deconditioned patient who has undergone a major surgery, now we are trying to vigorously recondition this patient from scratch. Now, postoperatively, think about this patient. He's under the influence of opioids because of his pain, impaired sleep, impaired concentration, tiredness, fatigue, anxiety, and depression because he's waiting for further intervention. This is not the optimal period to introduce interventions to accelerate recovery. So we have been focusing on medical and physiological optimization, not physical or emotional preparation after surgery. So we should not only be doing the surgery to treat the problem, we should be helping the individual who has got a problem. On the other hand, the pre-operative period, which is that golden period or that moment, a teaching opportunity where this patient is motivated to undertake any interventions to reduce their post-surgical complication, that is where we should be making the patient more fitter and holistically optimize them physically, nutritionally, as well as emotionally. So the modern care should be an alternate model of care where we prevent these patients from getting to the point of needing this vigorous reconditioning. Our intention should be to reduce post-surgical complication and to optimize patient outcome by interventions that will enhance the patient experience right through their surgical journey. And that's what the surgical prehabilitation does. So at our center, the normal preoperative process, the patient comes and sees the anesthetist in the clinic, gets seen by the pharmacist who gives the medication advice and does uh, smoking cessation advice, and he sees the drugs and alcohol management and patient blood management team for anemia correction, et cetera. Now the patient, uh, if he's getting enrolled in the prehabilitation program, can also see the physiotherapist and dietitian as well as social, social worker, and then he enrolls himself or herself into the prehabilitation program in the weeks leading up to the surgery. Now, many centers have tried this program and there have been failures. So the reason is, uh, one recent, recently published study from Regional Center of Queensland where they tried, they actually, it was a trial on frail colorectal cancer patients and they saw only less than 5% were even willing to participate in this program. And out of the 34 patients that were enrolled, one patient completed the whole program. So there is a high rate of failure and non-adherence to these sort of programs. 
the reason being these programs are based on very rigid protocols. There is a lack of flexibility, and it's more physician-centered rather than patient-centered, right? The patients are the end users. They need to be more emotionally engaged to a program to get some meaningful outcomes out of it. So we felt that the consumer voice is very critical to the success of any program. So we wanted to design a program to implement in our center, which is patient-centered and consumer-friendly. So our program is patient-centered. It's co-designed by the patient. We take time to find out what is important for the patient, the needs and preferences and capabilities, and we incorporate that into our program. And therefore, we ensure maximal adherence to that program. Now, what is prehabilitation? Coming back to basics. So prehab for short is conditioning of the body and mind before surgery. So the patient actually reaches a higher functional capacity and higher fitness level. So they're able to meet up that post-surgical challenge and experience an accelerated recovery. Now prehabilitation program in many situations have found to decrease the complication, particularly post-operative lung complications. They decrease the length of stay, they decrease the healthcare costs, they improve the experience across a wide range of situations. So multimodal prehabilitation has been found to be more effective than single intervention just because of increased adherence to the program. Well, that's the main factor. So it includes physiotherapy, which is balance and core strengthening and um, you know, all that sort of thing. The nutritional optimization we focus because perioperative malnutrition is 50% prevalent in cancer patients and it is also an indicator of poor surgical outcomes and increased 30-day readmission rates. So it involves sufficient protein and sufficient energy intake. And then psychological counseling, anxiety and depression is often overlooked, but it's quite prevalent in patients undergoing elective surgery, major elective surgery, particularly cancer surgery. And depression can lead to poor surgical outcomes again. It can lead to decreased immune response, low tolerance to any intervention, and increased pain, etc., and increased risk of mortality. So what do we do at our center? So the physiotherapist approaches this patient and the talk, you know, assesses the frailty level, the um, activity level based on CATS activity scale and clinical frailty score. And then they educate a patient about the benefits of exercise. And then the patient is given a choice of three options, a home exercise uh, with phone follow-up or home exercise with once weekly or twice weekly face-to-face -face session. And it will be a combination of aerobic and resistance exercises plus arm and leg strengthening exercise, and exercise bike or rower or gym, depending upon the availability of equipment. So these individualized recommendations are modified between sessions depending on how the patients present and how the patients progress, and based on their choices too. And the compliance is usually through Fitbits and exercise diary. And we also give parking vouchers for their visit, which probably resulted in 100% adherence to this program. Nutritional optimization. So nutritional optimization includes administration of malnutrition screening tool, uh, which divides the patient into low risk or high risk of malnutrition. Low risk will be getting some high protein educational, you know, handouts from the Queensland Health and high protein, uh, sorry, high risk of malnutrition. The dietitian is notified who then gives a subjective global assessment score, depending on the score, depending on the type of surgery and depending on what the surgeon wants, surgeon specific goals, weight loss, I need lab quality, weight loss. Etc. So depending on that, the dietitian provides individualized recommendations and then subsequent reviews, questionnaire is given to assess the risk of malnutrition, their progress and their satisfaction score and whether they need follow-up or not. And the further follow-up will be patient-driven. 
In terms of mental health counselling, these patients often suffer, they have questions about surgery, diagnosis, prognosis, what will happen to my recovery, you know, my functional capacity, how will my family cope, advanced care planning, discharge planning, um, you know, the counselling counseling will revolve around that. So uh, we have done colorectal cancer patients in the first year of our initiation of this program, and with subsequent funding, we, we are currently also doing cardiac patients, and I think, I, I believe this is the first formal cardiac prehabilitation program, at least in Queensland. So we've done about 22 cardiothoracic surgical patients, and we're also getting referrals from other hospitals for vascular and other patients. And we, of course, we do colorectal cancer patients. So this is an 81-year-old gentleman who came to us on the 22nd of June and got assessed on his, um, you know, for, for his um, cabbage, and he could not sit up, he could not stand from a sitting position. Uh, he had very terrible, um, terrible osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis, etc. And so he has made two weeks. So he attended gym sessions twice weekly since, and he has made a, um, you know, a considerable improvement in the first two weeks after he was enrolled. Uh, can you play the second one, please? This is two more weeks later. Um, so that has shown significant and impressive improvement. More than the length, uh, leg strength or balance, it has boosted his confidence and the sense of empowerment over the whole situation. So that actually is the main factor. If the patients feel a lot less stressed and a lot better, they do a lot better. So that is a key point. It, uh, I mean, medical care is always exceptional. That is different. But these things matter. So our assessment, uh, we do timed up, and the physiotherapists do timed up and go test and there's SPPB, which is a balance and gait speed, et cetera. We also look at complications, the length of stay, as well as ICU stay, as well as the mortality. So patient experience measure, which is the most important one. I'll try to read, turning my face around. So this is 93% rated the information as very good and excellent. This is a result of our pilot study that we did in the first 2019, 19, uh, 2020, and that's been published actually. And 87% they felt they were involved in decision making of their program. 93% felt that the program met their own needs and preferences, and 60% rated their experience as 10 on a scale of one to 10. Almost. All of them were very grateful for this program, and they wanted to come back, and then they wanted to be, um, they were happy to be ambassadors. So I think that's the key success of our program. So the best advertising is done by a satisfied customer. So I'll play this video, and I'll end my talk. I'm really thankful to everybody that has supported me and my vision and my, our team all the way. Thank you. Well, my opinion of the prehabilitation program, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I was most impressed with the total holistic approach to it, from physiotherapists through dieticians and social workers. And when I'd finished the program, I thought it was one of the best programs I've been involved in. The first thing I got out of it is I lost 12 kilos. Um, it also gave me a different attitude and approach to exercise and diet, uh, which I've carried on since the operation. The team I had looking after me was absolutely brilliant. Um, the physiotherapists and the dietitian and the social worker checked up on me and they were offering support all the way through. It worked very, very well. I couldn't have asked for a better team. Thank you so much. Uh, this man, actually, just to tell you, he had knee operate. He had a uh, plan for knee joint replacement 
before, this is before his colorectal um, operation, but he was planning for joint replacement. And after this prehabilitation, he felt, he no longer felt the need to replace his knee. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.